want to thank you for joining us at Cowboy Junction Church today. As you hear this message, we pray that your faith will grow and you will be both encouraged and challenged. To stay connected with what's happening at CJC and to receive text message reminders or announcements, text the word CONNECT to the number 575-209-2770. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this message online. You can also help us reach others by partnering with us financially. You can easily give a one-time gift or set up a recurring gift at cowboyjunctionchurch.com give. We hope you enjoy this message. We're in a series that we're wrapping up today, and we're talking about 1 Corinthians. Paul writes this incredible letter that is encouraging the church of Corinth in some really tough situations they find themselves in. I know I've told you this before, but if you're here for the first time, I would like to give you a backstory and show you a little bit of why this incredible letter is so important, okay? Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, okay? And he's writing them because he's been with them. He's walked with them. He's talked with them. He's taught them. He's pastored them. He's apostled them. And he has raised them up in their faith. And they genuinely have a strong faith in Christ Jesus. But then, just like the Holy Spirit, he speaks to Paul and says, I think it's time to move on and go to some other areas that need you. So Paul packs his stuff and he leaves. As he leaves... He's beginning to get letters that ever since you left, Paul, this has been going on in the church. Paul, since you left, this has happened in the church. Paul, since you left, this is what's going on. And Paul puts together this incredible letter that addresses all the little letters that he has received from the people in Corinth, specifically in the Corinthian church. And he begins to address some things. And there's five key things that Paul talks on. If you're interested in any of these five things, it's really fascinating. It really plays a huge part in today's society, in today's church. Maybe you're here today and you're just kind of figuring out what does God think about this? And you're really looking at the Jesus path and you're wondering what, what path should I choose? I want you to look how the church, the body of Christ, handles tough situations and why we choose one direction and the choices we make over other directions, and maybe the choices the world makes. How, do the, how does the church make decisions? And Paul addresses these things very importantly, and they're very fascinating subjects. But today is the very last one, and next week we're going to start something brand new. We're going to take off. But this fifth one, let me just tell you, is my favorite. In fact, if I had one topic to speak on right now in my life, it would be this one thing, okay? So let's get going. Here we go. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, let me just show you real quick, chapter 15, verse 55. Now, I'm jumping to the end of chapter 15, because I want you to see the end, and let us unpack this. You'll know where we're going by knowing this. Paul says this, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not 
in vain in the Lord. This is Paul's wrap-up of chapter 15, and it really should inspire every follower of Jesus of why we do what we do. And there were some key parts in there that kind of were a little ringing of a bell, if you will. You understood what he meant when he talked about death and Hades. And you understood what he meant about believing in our Lord Jesus Christ and continuing on. But the last part was so encouraging. My beloved brethren and sister in the room, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And for everybody that is following the plans of God in your life and you think, is it worth it? Hearing this is refreshing. It's almost like a breath of air. Oh, thank you. I needed to hear that. This is Paul's wrap-up of what we're going to talk about today. Because the fifth thing that Paul talks about to the Corinthian church is the resurrection. The resurrection in general, Jesus did rise from the dead. So if you would, let's just pray real quick. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I have nothing but only what you gave me. And now I pray that you would use me as a vessel to speak to those who just need to be sharpened a little bit in why we do what we do and why what we believe is so important. But Lord, today I pray for every one of my friends that were invited here by somebody. Maybe they've heard through the internet, social media, perhaps a friend. And they find themselves at Cowboy Junction Church this morning. And they're asking the questions. Should I follow Jesus? Pastor, give me one reason why I should follow Jesus. And today, Father, I pray that it wouldn't be me that changes. It wouldn't be me that changes them. It wouldn't be me that causes them to be different. It would be you speaking to them that would say, come follow me. And they would know it, and they would listen, and they would follow you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So why the resurrection? I mean, gosh, just think about it. If these people knew Jesus, if these people followed Jesus, why are they questioning the resurrection? I mean, we've covered some pretty interesting things over the last four weeks. Things that would cause us all to kind of question, like, how do you know if you're following Jesus? Or what are you, this kind of stuff. And why the resurrection? And it has a lot to do with where the Corinthian church is located. Corinth was an Epicurean center. It was, it was a, a place, Epicurean means that they believed that when you died, you were dead. You were alive one minute, and then the next you were dead. And when you died, there was no consciousness that floated around the earth. There was no place that you went. It was just you were done, you were over, it was finished, you were worm food. Okay, that was my, I added that, okay, and, and, and you, you were just dirt, and there was this saying, and here was the saying that was in Corinth, you ready? Hey, we live, we breathe, we die, let's just make life the most we can make out of it. Everything goes, personal pleasure. I mean, let's just face it, you're alive, you're dead, so you might as well enjoy life to the fullest. Let's eat, let's drink, let's be merry. And if there was a Vegas on steroids, <laughs> Corinth was the place, okay? And, and listen, 
this was the place that everything that you pleasured, they said, you deserve it. You deserve it. And so when the message of Jesus came in, and most importantly, the resurrection of Christ, which basically means that Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And they begin to accept it and understand it. When Paul left, people that were in Corinth would accept Christ as their Savior, but they begin to ask questions. Well, what about when you die? How do you know you're going to live again? How do you know there's a heaven? How do you know that God doesn't just leave you and you got your best while you were alive? How can we believe in the resurrection? Let me tell you, this isn't unusual, this topic. In fact, maybe you're sitting there right now and you're going, well, I've got the same kind of questions because really there's no instruction manual after time on earth. It's not like nobody's sitting there going, hey, you can pick option A. We can give you a, a heaven in the mountains. Option B, heaven on the beach. Heaven number C, heaven on a bass boat. Option number D, I don't know. There's nobody giving us options. And so we're sitting there and, and, and I don't know about you, but I haven't talked to a dead person lately to see what happens. And so maybe you're sitting there and you're going, okay, this is good. I've got questions. How do we know? How do we know? In, in today's day and age, this is also an argument that's taking place in the church. There's a deconstruction the theology. Deconstruction theology is basically people who say they follow God, but they're rewriting the Bible. Rewriting the Bible on things like the resurrection. Rewriting the Bible on things like heaven and hell. Rewriting the Bible on issues like morality and, and different things like that. And what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And, and, and the other day, I actually sat in on a conference that someone was preaching, and, and he was corrected. Don't worry. But the man was actually preaching. The entire earth is saved. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood washed away the sins for the entire earth, and the entire earth is saved. The church is just going to have to realize they don't have to lead people to Jesus. The entire earth is saved already. It was my first time to ever sit in a conference to ever hear someone preach this. And it caught this little southeastern New Mexico boy off guard a little bit. And later on, he was rebuked. Later on, he was challenged. And, and, and our, our elders handled it. But that was the first time this ever happened. This is a real thing. Yeah. And all of the little church people that would go, well, why, why is this such a big thing? Because people have questions. But here's the thing I want you to know. And for all my friends that you would say, I have questions. The scriptures have answers. Right. And Paul says this. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died. There's no question about it. No question about it. But Christ died for our sins according to scripture. And so Paul starts off and he begins to really address to the church of Corinth the issue of there is no doubt. We saw him died. He was laid in a tomb. Everyone knew he was dead. And Scripture tells us it's very important that his death was actually caused by all of our sin. Every one of us was responsible for Jesus' death. Okay? And we know he died. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the Scripture. This is very important, and as you begin to unpack 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you begin to find that Paul makes it very clear the death was real, but the resurrection of Jesus was even more real. Even more to the point that our entire faith is based on 
Jesus is alive. Okay? Now Paul begins to do something. Okay? Paul begins to let's give you reasons why Christ's followers believe in the resurrection. And this is real. Maybe you didn't know. We've actually got evidence. Okay? We've actually got proof. And maybe you grew up in a church where you're like, you just got to believe. You just got to believe. You just got to believe. It's bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. And some of the key reasons that Paul says, the reason we know that Jesus rose from the grave, one of them is we have witnesses. Now, you may be sitting here going, oh, come on. Those witnesses were 2,000 years ago. Oh, come on. We don't even know who those people were. Witnesses. I thought you were like going to give me some holy grail, something or another with Jesus' blood outlined on the sheet, all these things. I've got something better. And I think together we can begin to unpack this because it's very important. And Paul begins to unpack it for the people in the Corinthian church. And he says this. And that he was seen by Cephas. Okay, time out. Wait. Someone actually saw him? And that's the fun part about this. Is that the witnesses give clarity to the resurrection. And Paul says, we know it's true because I know Cephas. Cephas was one of the first ones who saw Jesus after his resurrection. Three days in the grave, and Cephas saw him. And then he appeared to the 12. You know who these 12 are? The 12 disciples. Okay? These are the men, excluding, excluding uh, the one that betrayed Jesus. You have the 12, the new apostle that was brought in. And he says, these are 13 people that Jesus appeared to, but it wasn't just 13. Paul says, and after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren. Now, that's a lot of people. 500 people who said, Jesus, I mean, like in a good way, okay? So that's funny. I thought that was funny. I've been working, I've been working on that joke all week. Jesus, and nobody can get mad because you don't know how I meant it. But, you know, they, Jesus appeared, and there he was. 500 brethren at once. It wasn't like all spread out, but at one time, 500 people. Jesus walked in and said, here's the nail scars. And here's the scar on my side. And they saw with their own eyes. Of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Which means this happened several years ago. And of the 513 people, remember we mentioned the 12 and the 1 a minute ago. Some have even died, but they died in their faith. And to their death, they gave testimony about the time that they saw Jesus. And it was so crystal clear to them. And it made such perfect sense to them. And it was like everything he said he was, he was. And everything he said he did, he did. And everything he said he was going to do, he actually did. He said he was going to rise from the dead, and he did. And some even passed away. But to their dying day, they never quit telling people about the day that they saw him. And some are still alive. And are any of these people going, okay, guys, i got to be honest with you. It's a fraud. It's a complete fraud. It's not real. It was James's idea. James came up with the idea. Peter confirmed it. We should all lie. We should all lie. Paul's writing here and saying they all remain and they all give testimony to the fact 
They saw him with their own eyes. But it goes on. It's not just these 513 people. It's one of my favorite reasons, by the way. And that he was seen by James. You know who James was? The brother of Jesus. The half-brother of Jesus. Only half-brother because they shared a mother. But James had another dad. And Jesus had God. <laughs> that, that's, that, what would it take for James... Your brother. Let me ask this. What would it take for your brother to say that you were the son of God? You know what it would take for my brother to say I was the son of God? <laughs> it, would, it would take something huge. And James, you don't see him all throughout scriptures. You don't see him all throughout Jesus' story. But it's only after the resurrection that James goes into the ministry. Right. Let me tell you why. Because how would you like to have Jesus as your brother? <laughs> I'm sure there was some animosity. Yeah. If any younger brothers are in the room and you're like, I can't stand my brother. Why? Because he was born before me. <laughs> How would you like to add to that that your brother was the son of God? Great. Great. James comes into the picture only after wow. he saw Jesus raised from the dead with his own eyes. Then... By all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also. As by one born out of due time. Paul's saying, my story in the whole story is kind of a little embarrassing. Some people don't think so, but for me, I feel like I was born not even in the time frame. Not even deserving of getting to see what I saw but I got to see him with my own eyes. And the fun thing about this is now you begin to see Paul's evidence for the resurrected Lord. It was because of all the people that saw him. But Paul addresses some things. He says, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, and he talks to the church of Corinth, if, if we've preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? If, if we preach it, and, and all of these people saw it. And we have witnessed and we're given our lives for it. How can we as a church start deconstructing the very thing that caused our faith to come alive? Amen. The resurrection of Jesus. And it really boils down to this. Guys, the resurrection changed everything. It wasn't Jesus' preaching for everybody in this house you may say, well, it was Jesus' preaching that changed the world. But Jesus was a great preacher. He was an incredible rabbi. That's the whole reason when we take communion, we take the bread. Because he is the bread of life. But it wasn't Jesus' preaching that changed the world. Right. And, and, and you may argue with that. But let me give you some evidence. Did Peter not hear every sermon Jesus preached? Yep. But on the night of his crucifixion, did he not deny Christ three times? And did Jesus not go back to him and ask him three questions after the resurrection? Peter, will you feed my sheep? Peter, will you feed my sheep? Peter, will you feed my sheep? And what did Peter say? Peter said, of course I will. And he brought him back into the ministry. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And Peter became the first pastor. And Peter was completely exonerated and lifted up. And Peter ended up giving his life as a martyr for Jesus. But why? Was it Jesus' teaching? I think that was awesome. But you know what changed Peter's life? 
the resurrection. When he realized that Jesus was everything he said he was. And then all the teachings made sense. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at these men. These men who were fishermen. These men who were doctors. These men who, 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 were, or who were tax collectors. Before they listened to every one of their sermons. But it was after the resurrection. After Jesus said, here I am. And they were shocked. And they realized everything was true. The first thing you see is their faith grew. They had faith before, but it was only when they believed that they saw the resurrection, it went to a whole nother level. Not only did their faith grow, in that you couldn't, if you turned to him and said, like Paul, Paul, how can we believe that Jesus raised, was raised from the dead? Paul didn't write a letter to the church of Corinth telling them, well, you know, guys, you just got to work it out in your own heart. You just got to believe what you got to believe. Well, guys, you know, you just, you just be a good person. Paul wrote back and said, do you not remember the witnesses? Do you not even see me who gave my, I'm given my life because I realize that there's something bigger than my life. It's eternity. Right. And every one of the people who saw Jesus with their own lives didn't get weaker in their faith. They exploded in their faith. Right. Yeah. Not only that, but their ministry. You didn't see fishermen go back to being fishermen. You didn't see tax collectors going back and being tax collectors. You saw men who Jesus called from their life, step into fear when the crucifixion took place, explode in faith after the resurrection, and then start going around the world and preaching the gospel. Who does that if they're carrying a lie? Who preaches harder if they're carrying a lie? So all my friends are like, how do you know this Christianity is real? Think about it. It's beautiful. Not only did their faith grow and their ministry go throughout the world, but they all died. Martyrs is a word meaning that they died for their belief. They believed in Jesus. Many of them tied up being led to either beheading, burned to death, stoned to death. They knew their death was near. And they preached while they were leading, leading them to their death. Wow. Wow. Telling even the person who was holding the sword about their relationship with Jesus and what they saw and what they witnessed. Wouldn't this be a good time to say, God, it was fake. It was fake. It was so fake. If you untie me, I'll tell you the whole story. I'll tell you who started it too. Not one person did it. Yeah. Yeah. And they died for what they believed. And heaven Heaven is real. So first thing, how do we know from Paul in 1 Corinthians that the resurrection was real? And Paul gives us the evidence, being in the witnesses. But then it goes on. Paul says, but some of you will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? And this is, this is really cool. Okay, so we're going to do a little shift. Everybody do shift. Okay, we're going to do shift. Big shift here. We've just talked about the witnesses. But there was also a little fear in the Corinth church. And the fear was, okay, then what happens when you die? What happens when you die? Paul says, I want to remind you how the dead are raised up. And 
with what body they come. For, I, I, I kind of paused this week, and I thought about what a big deal this conversation is for a lot of people right now. I'm 48 years old. I'm not getting close to death. I'm not even close. So don't hope it. Don't wish it. Don't push it. But can I tell you, I think about it more than I did when I was 28. When I was 28, fearless, going, just going. Uh, 48, COVID, COVID, my COVID experience. I had to call Clay one night when I was really, really sick. And I got him on the phone. I couldn't breathe. Brad and I were just talking about his experience, COVID, last week and week before, like a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, and, and I couldn't breathe. And it just didn't look good. And I called Clay and I said, the title to the truck is in this safe. And the title to the trailer is right next to it. And Clay said, don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. And I'm, I'm breathing really softly. I said, buddy, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I just need you to take care of Heather and the boys if anything should happen. And I said, the cows, do I need, like, need to write a letter to give you permission to sell them for, for Heather? And so Clay and I had this. I never had this conversation with anyone in my entire life. And it says a lot about Clay yeah. to think that that's the guy that I'd call to say, will you take care of my family if something should happen with me? And so I'm, I'm in the middle of the night, and I'm wondering if I'm going to make it. And can I just turn and tell you, I'm going to use the same words that somebody used for me the other day. They were in the hospital too, and they said, I just had this unbelievable peace. And I knew whether I was to go tonight or stay for another day, Everything was okay because of my faith in the resurrected Lord. And what does the resurrection have to do with you? I just want to show you real quick. Paul addresses it. He says, we can believe in the resurrection because the body that we're promised is going to be pretty awesome. The resurrection tells us, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that a body that sh shall be but mere grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain, okay? But he says this, but God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed his own body. And this takes a little bit of unpacking, okay? And he said this, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised, though, in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. And some of us know what it's like to have a body that constantly dishonors us constantly breaks down, constantly beating us up, a body that, that once served you well, but in time it's, it's, it's working against you more than it's working for you. It is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, and it is raised in, what does it say? Power. Power. It is sown in the natural body, it is raised in the spiritual body. There is a natural body and there's a spiritual body. And there's a reason I want to touch on this. And you may go, Ty, you were doing so good with the resurrection, but... I just want to go with the body real quick because I want to tell you what a big deal it is that you don't have to stay in the body you got right now. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't talk about this at Cowboy Junction. But do you realize that what dies on this earth stays on this earth and God gives you a brand new body? But let me tell you, for those who believe only in the resurrection of the Lord. 
Because this isn't a beautiful story that just tells you, oh, we all go to heaven. This is a reality story that how do we get a new body? How are we raised from Christ's resurrection? And when we realize that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and when we believe in that, he gives us the ability to step out of worm food into a glorious new body. Let me show you real quick. I pulled this out. Margot brought us peaches the other day. They happen to be some of the best peaches I've ever had in my life. They're the whitest peaches I've ever seen in my life. And I thought they were, I thought they were just green. And you bite into them, they're, it's, they're unbelievable. I saved a pit. You know what this represents? You. And your body. And it ain't pretty. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's the first point all day I've understood right there. I get it. I get it. But every one of you would look at this, and I, I, I bet you didn't think it's ugly. I bet you didn't think it's not pretty. I think you thought immediately what it is and what it does. And the fact is, is that I'm encouraging as your pastor... To plant your life in Christ Jesus. I'm asking you to take your faith, your life, everything you are, and plant it in Christ Jesus. I believe that you died like a seed planted in the ground to only then come alive and produce the harvest of, of fruit that is salvation that all of us get to pick from and choose. Do I believe that this fruit is just a fruit? Do I believe that Jesus is just Jesus, a regular old person? Or does he bring true salvation? And I'm asking you to taste of the Lord and see that he is good. Yes. I'm asking you to taste of the Lord and see that he is great. I'm asking you to take a bite of his plan and his resurrection so that you too might one day be buried. But it's only the beginning. Yeah. For the glorious body and life with our Father in heaven that Jesus says, I can give you. What are you going to do with your life? Be planted and forgotten? Or is the very life you're living right now ugly, shriveled, your body breaking down, you're looking at it all wrong. It could actually be the very thing that when given to the Father turns into something awesome because of His resurrection and His power. So at the very beginning today, I opened up with the scripture. We're going to wrap things up. Jeff's going to come up. And I, I, just, want to, I just want to show you something. We started off talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. Remember this at the very beginning of the message today? Yeah. I hope now, by unpacking this a little bit, you read this in a completely different way. Oh, death. Oh, you toothless lion. Oh, you clawless cat. Oh, you venomous, venomous, 
You have no venom, snake. <laughs> oh, death. Where the heck is your sting now? Where's your sting? And oh, Hades. You know what Hades means? Hell. And for everybody, you're afraid of hell. You're afraid of hell. You're afraid of hell. You're afraid of hell. How can Christians not be afraid of hell? Because let's just face it. The judgment of God is kind of scary. I mean, you, open, you close your eyes, you open it up, you step in, and it's like judgment. Stop. Did you know that there is no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus? You, you skip it. It's like going to Disney World and getting the side pass. What's the, what's the fast pass? You get the fast pass. It's like, child of God, okay, this way, please. And, and, and why? Because you believe in Jesus? No, it's because you believe in his resurrection. That Jesus, everything that he said he was, everything that he said he could do, he did. And now, because of his resurrection, I, it makes me who I am in Christ Jesus. And I am free of judgment. Not because I don't judge. I have to judge myself daily. Am I following Jesus? Am I doing what he's called me to do? It doesn't give me sloppy grace. It actually draws me in to come however you are and we'll work it out. You will be able to read and learn and grow. But as far as being afraid of hell, being afraid of death, as a believer who knows that Jesus rose from the grave, I am not afraid anymore. Paul goes on. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Can we not say that? Let's say it all together. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through going to church, through being a better person, through morality. And I'm a good person. I'm better than most people in the world. It doesn't say that. It says through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the greatest revival that ever took place in Australia history. There was a little old man who never preached a day in his life. And all he had was sticks of chalk. That's it. Sticks of chalk. Try saying that three times. <laughs> sticks of chalk. And he would walk all around Sydney and he would write one word everywhere he went on the cement. They would find at the shipping docks one word being written. They would find in front of churches one word being written. They would find in front of libraries one word. Everywhere you walked around Sydney there would be this one word that people would see and they begin to ask, who's writing that word? Who's writing that word? Who's writing that word? And they found out it was this little old man that everywhere he went, never preached a sermon, didn't say anything. He just wrote this one word everywhere he went. And it caused one of the greatest, greatest revivals in all of Australian history as all of Australia began to think about this one word. Eternity. Can you imagine going to the library? And before you walked in, you sit there and you look at this word that nobody talks about anymore. This little man wrote, eternity. And while you're in the library, you get to thinking about this word. You're so busy thinking about bread and milk and cheese and all this stuff. You walk in the grocery store, but before you walk in, there's this word written right across 
the entrance. And all during the whole shopping experience, you're thinking about what does your eternity look like? And Paul says we have hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That eternity is something that we can be a part of because of his resurrection. And then Paul says this, and we read it a minute ago, therefore my beloved brother, and this is all for all of us, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You know what he's saying? Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't you quit now. Don't you think your life doesn't matter. I'm talking to the brothers and the sisters in the Lord. For everyone who believes in Jesus, be steadfast. Be immovable. Stand in your faith. Let it grow. Today's message should cause your chest to stick out a little bit. It should cause for you to realize that there is hope. There is hope for this life. Why? Let me go back. That your labor is not in vain. In the Lord. In the Lord. It makes you think that there's hope for you in this world. There are people who need to hear your testimony. There are people who need to hear your story. It makes us think about, do I take everything I got to the grave with me or should I sow more in this world I live in? Do I believe for the kingdom to come and God's will to be done? God, how could you use me in this plan? And you know what exactly happened? The church of Corinth began to feel their faith rise again. And they began to dust off the idea of let's drink, eat, and be merry and begin to think that there's something more to life than my temporary pleasure. There's eternity and there's a hope for life. So now let me do something real quick. I'm going to turn to every one of my friends that before this you would say, I'm just asking questions about faith. And remember a minute ago we talked about being steadfast, staying in our faith, and believing for this hope in life, that doesn't happen until you decide to follow Jesus. And maybe one of the big things is you're struggling with actually following Jesus. You know what changed it for me and it changed it for all of us? It's when we understood the resurrection and that Jesus was everything he said he was. He did everything he said he was going to do. But there's more to come. Because Jesus even told us this, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And you won't know the day and you won't know the hour. But I'm coming back and I'm coming for my bride. And as, as a thief in the night, I'm going to show up and I will return for my bride. And can I turn to you and say, there's a lot of questions about the return of the Lord. How come it's taken so long? Where is he? And can I tell you this, what keeps me on track every day is the fact that Jesus already did everything he said he would do. And Jesus did everything that, that, that he promised he was. And it keeps me on track to know that if he did all that, there's the answer to my question, that he will return when he is ready to return and I need to be about the Father's business and my Father's business today is to turn to you all those who would say I think I'm ready I want to follow Jesus